Welcome to Rising Tide, a podcast for career-driven women to find inspiration, find courage, and find their voice. Happy 2023, y'all. I am so excited to be ushering in this new year with you. And in spirit of a new year, today's episode is a new journey unlike any that we have seen on the Rising Tide podcast in the last two years. We've had incredible stories. And oftentimes, we hear stories of women who somewhere along the path of success, they they lost themselves and eventually were able to reconnect. Where today's journey is different is that Lauren Griffey never lost sight of who she was, but rather for nearly a decade, intentionally would deny herself begging to be someone else. I had no proof that I could succeed at writing and I still wanted stability. And I was so afraid if I stepped off the path, I could never get back on it. Meet Lauren Griffey, agented author and freelance copywriter. On today's episode, Lauren talks about how she adopted a mentality that writing was only a luxury and it was never something that would pay the bills. With that as her philosophy, she set out to build a quote unquote real career and begging to be someone who belonged anywhere else. Throughout today's episode, we hear her share how that voice, that passion, that purpose for writing was not to be denied. And on today's episode, we hear her talk about themes, including the power of making decisions based on the opinions of others, the idea that no experience is wasted, even if it's a detour from where we're ultimately meant to be, and the freedom that comes when we answer the call to who we've always been. Enjoy. Welcome to Rising Tide, Lauren. Thank you. Oh my goodness. I am so excited. It has been so fun to reconnect. And this is really somewhat entertaining to me because we got connected when you were selling and yeah. I was a potential, I was a prospect. Yep. Oh my gosh. And I knew then, I remember when we met and gosh, I mean, I think that was probably five years ago, but it was very clear that you were special. And I'm so grateful that our, we've stayed connected over the years since then. That's so sweet of you to say. You were like a shining beacon to me in my, I was just getting started in sales too. And I like encountered you and <laughs> it was like my first time prospecting was the month that I contacted you. And I was just getting all of these like, no, 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 no. And you were like, sure, let's talk. And I was like, oh, finally <laughs> someone. <laughs> That is, I think, always one of the hardest jobs. I don't know if that will ever change is cold outreach and prospecting. Uh, it is so not hard. for the faint of heart. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, so we we met when you were like just starting out your your sales career, but where did you start in your career? So it was a winding road. I majored in English in college, mm. planned on pursuing something in the English world. I always liked to write. I thought maybe I might do journalism at one point, but I, I definitely thought I would stay in that world. I didn't. Why not? <laughs> so as a senior in college, 
I was kind of looking around at the people who are getting job offers and the people who were finding like stability mm-hmm. and none of them were in creative roles. And of all the people around me, I have a really big family too. I have a lot of siblings and I just didn't have any kind of roadmap for a creative career. I mm-hmm. saw very clear paths for sales. I saw clear paths for, I've got a lot of psychologists in my family. So I was like, okay, I know what those things look like. Writing was always mm-hmm. kind of my thing. That was like this fringe hobby that, <laughs> that I kind of did in private. So I just didn't, I didn't know how to, how to make a career out of it. So mm-hmm. really I ended up kind of choosing stability And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the dialogue, especially around the time that I was graduating was like, if you get a job offer, you're fortunate being employed is you're lucky to have an opportunity to work. So I kind of jumped on the first thing that seemed really stable, which happened to be a role as an analyst (laughs) at a very big company. So I moved to Arkansas for that company. Um, Can I ask you something really quick? Yeah. Um, So I was going to let it go. And then it's just not sitting right with me. Being told or kind of fed the story that like you would be lucky to be employed. Was that coming from the the university? Was that coming from like your, you know, kind of close network? Like what, where was that message coming from? Yeah, really. It was like, I think mostly the adults around me. So family, family, friends, the other thing that I think was really to my detriment at that time, but I do think like all of these steps, when I look at them makes sense. But at the time, the thing that took me away from English was even, even getting the degree was Mm -hmm. kind of scandalous. Like (laughs) I was cautioned against English tons of people from kind of like guidance counselors to professors to people that were kind of mentors to me were like, this is useless. And it was, English was like the, one of the top 10 or I guess worst 10 degrees to have as a college graduate when I was in school. But at the same time, I was like, this is the thing that I'm good at. So how can you tell me that (laughs) the thing that I'm good at has no value. So anyway, even majoring in English, I think was a, was a very risky choice that was not supported by a lot of people around me. Yeah. Right. So it's like, okay, fine. You did the risky degree, but like, you know, pick stability now that it's. Uh (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I interrupted you as you were about to head off to Arkansas for your (laughs) As for your job as an analyst. So let's go back and pick up there. So headed to Arkansas, took on this analyst role. It was a great learning experience. It was interesting to be coming in as an English major, doing a role where I was living in Excel and looking at numbers, because while I could do that, that's just not the way that my mind works. Mm -hmm. But I very much felt like the people I was around, I, and I'm still very good friends with a lot of them today because we kind of all went through this huge corporate shock together um, <laughs> as like barely adults. But the people I was around, I was like, these are really smart. Like I want to be with this group of people, these like business people, these intelligent 
interesting people. I want to be one of them. I don't feel like I am, (laughs) but I'm here. So I want to figure this out. And I kind of did. I think I was a passable analyst. I personally probably would not hire me (laughs) into that role, but it was fine. In a big company, it's kind of, I feel like you're more insulated. So some of your shortcomings being picked up by the people around you are, it's fine to have your, you know, your manager carry you in certain areas, or there's just not as much exposure of your weaknesses, I guess. So I was, I was fairly insulated in that role. (laughs) Um, Fortunately, or unfortunately, I'm not sure, but (laughs) then. Can we go back to something else you said that put on my ears? So it was really interesting because, you know, I think you mentioned like you wanted to be part of the group. Like you really were, were drawn to these people that you're around. You wanted to be one of them, but you also like kind of understood that you were different. Is there an example or something that like stands out? Yeah, I honestly felt it from my orientation week at this company. Mm -hmm. They flew us all out to Minnesota was where the company was headquartered Mm -hmm. and all of us were together kind of starting and the way that this company works, like every new person coming into the company has a certain trajectory. So there's kind of step A, B, C, there's certain years or certain geographies allotted to each role, but it's a very, it's a path that, that is built for you, which was super appealing to me coming out of college. Sure. Wanting another path. (laughs) So you had just been in this world that was unclear and, you know, ambiguous. And so here it was like, you know, the thing that everyone said you should want is like this very Mm -hmm. clear, here's what you do and here's how you build a career. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Exactly. So I remember going to that orientation. I feel like I kind of tripped into this world. Like I had, (laughs) I think I interview well, and I think that's part of why I ended up in this position. But a lot of the people that I met had interned for the company or had interned in a similar role. Some of them already had their MBAs that were starting in the position I was in. And I was kind of like, what is business (laughs) at this point? So I felt like a huge faker. And I remember going to lunch with a bunch of people in that orientation week and just hearing them talk about their internship experiences and their even their high school experiences being aimed towards, it seemed like they had parents that had helped to steer them down this path. And my mom, who has been a huge support to me in my career and life. And so I I have nothing negative to say about my mom, but my mom was more, she saw the creative parts of me and wanted those things to to be fostered. So whenever it was like, you know, mom, I think I need to do this business thing or this career move. She was like, are you going to be happy? And I was like, mom, stop. (laughs) We're not doing the happy (laughs) thing. How dare you ask me an important question? (laughs) Forget about it. It's not, that's not a factor. (laughs) We're doing the money thing, mom. That's really funny. So in many ways, she was kind of like that voice that, that almost intuition voice on the outside though, being like, are you always and poking holes? Like I was just trying to, to mentally force myself into this stuff. And she was contradicting me. It was tough, but I think that was part of it too, is I had, I grew up with just a a mom, a single parent, and she just wanted me to find fulfillment and happiness. And 
I was around a bunch of people whose parents maybe also wanted that, but had also really steered them towards business and prepared them for business. And I wanted to be a business person, but I had absolutely zero acumen. I did not even know what I didn't know. So Mm -hmm. really it was, it was evident from meeting my peers (laughs) from day one. Right. I could see how that could be very intimidating on the surface of like walking in and kind of realizing all these people in their backgrounds and, and nobody's background looks anything like yours. Mm-hmm. And yes, like I, I can deeply empathize with how like that little imposter could just show up. So you're there for a year, you managed to stick with those spreadsheets for an entire year. What kind of becomes the tipping point to say, you know, time for a change. Yeah. So it was interesting because the first couple of months of this role in the spreadsheets was very stable and the path was very clear. But (laughs) then the company went through one of its biggest headcount reductions that it's had. And almost my entire department was let go except for me. So my manager, all of my managers, managers, everyone was suddenly gone. And I was kind of floating (laughs) for a little while. And it was basically like, Hey, you can go and be this kind of everything role that was a hybrid across the teams that still existed in this office, or, you know, you can leave and you can take a a severance package. And it was six months into having a job (laughs) in the world. So I took the role and I was living out in Arkansas. I mean, there was just, it was insane. So I took the role, which was kind of a fill in the gaps across all the teams that we had. So it was a little bit predictive analytics, a little bit small format store sales. Like I was just everywhere and mastering nothing, but trying to help a little bit with each thing. And that gave me a little bit of exposure to sales, Mm. which was interesting. I hadn't really worked with the salespeople and we were kind of physically isolated from each other in the building before this. So being around salespeople, that was when I kind of started to see, I think a little bit more of myself in the way that they communicated, in the way that they thought, in the way that they spoke up in meetings without, you know, like, I don't have the data, but here's what I think. And I was like, "Hmm, that's kind of how my brain works, but I'm supposed to have the data. (laughs) So... So that was kind of the the first inkling that I had that maybe sales was something I wanted to try. But then the company wanted me to move from Arkansas to Minnesota for my next role. And Minnesota was not in the cards for me. I just, I wanted to get to California. My brother had lived there for nine years and I just loved, I loved California. And I knew I wanted to be there. My husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, also wanted to be out in California. He had a brother living there up in LA. So we decided we were just going to try to get out West. We're young. We want to (laughs) experience a new place that we choose. We didn't really pick Arkansas, even though we made the most of it (laughs) was not, it was not the choice, but it was, it was fine for, for what it was, but we decided to get to California. And I pretty much decided I was in this business world and I was in a role that I wasn't super excited about, but I was going to keep doing that if it got us to California. So That's what happened. I took another analyst role at another big company that brought us out to California. And that role, I loved California, ramping in a new company, meeting a bunch of new people was kind of all enveloping. It was just, it was like stimulating, overwhelming, exciting. 
So any feelings that I had about maybe this isn't right, or I want to get back to writing, I could just shove down because I was so busy. (laughs) There was so much going on. Yeah. So I, I did the shoving it down thing for a while. And then I worked with a lot more salespeople in that role and we would kind of sell in tandem. So I would kind of do the analysis. A salesperson would take my analysis and run with it and go and get to kind of be the like superhero with our clients. And that was when I was kind of like, Hmm, I would like to do that. I want to be able to talk to the people. I don't want to be, you know, with the spreadsheets. I want to be with the people. (laughs) So I started to vocalize that. (laughs) (laughs) And I did not get a lot of support from the company or from my manager. And Mm -hmm. I kind of have this thing and right or wrong, better or worse. It's just a thing in me where when people tell me I can't do something or I'm not a fit for something, I just want it more. (laughs) So (laughs) that happened. I wanted it more. And that was pretty much, I, I remember having a conversation with someone that was like, look, you're an analyst. And the whole time I was thinking, no, I'm actually, I'm a writer <laughs> who is masquerading now as an analyst. So why couldn't I be a salesperson? If I can be an analyst, I can be a salesperson. It, all of this is, is a pivot. <laughs> so that was when I decided isn't that, on sales. Isn't that crazy? I mean, you're not even two years into a career as an analyst and you're already being forced into this box of like, no, 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 you Mm -hmm. stay here. You don't get to transition into a different role. Yeah. I just, I had to buck against it. I just did not. I wanted to be able to experiment more too and, and figure out, I just had this inkling of a thought that I was not super fulfilled in this role. And some people around me do seem somewhat fulfilled. So maybe there is something for me, even in this business world, that would feel a little bit better than what I'm doing. Mm, and it get worse. Just, yeah, <laughs> it's not going to get worse than the spreadsheets for me. So, oh my gosh. Okay. So yes. So I would imagine then you've tried it at this company, and you're saying like now it's time to start looking outside because like you're locked into sales, and you're that's what you're going to do. Yeah, I pretty much decided I had to make the pivot. Someone told me no, so I had to try it. <laughs> and I found this, my my husband actually started working for this startup in Orange County. And as I was having this experience where people were telling me no, and people were putting me in a box, and even with my ideas, a lot of it was like, mm. that's that's kind of outside of what what your role is, Lauren, like stay in your lane. My husband was having a very opposite experience at this startup where he was getting to take his ideas and run with them. And and he was getting Mm. propelled in the direction he wanted to go. So I thought maybe I need to go smaller company so that Mm. I can actually, you know, (laughs) make some, some decisions and make some moves and, and be supported in that because being entrepreneurial is a positive thing in right. smaller companies. <laughs> right, right. Yes, the, the the paths are not already forged. The you know, like there's a lot more room and space for innovation and creativity mm-hmm. and change. Yeah. 
Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So that makes a lot of sense to how, because I mean, like you're working at like really big names, like you're working at General Mills and you're working at Hormel, like these are really big brands. Mm -hmm. And then you go to house, which Mm -hmm. at the time, this is 2016. They were not what they are today. Like they were growing, but it is not, it was not what it is now. No, they were, they were smaller. They were much smaller than what I'd experienced, like Mm. night and day different. And it was, I remember when I was interviewing, just the verbiage was so different Mm. from interviewing for a, a bigger company that's established and very traditional. There was no talk of like, here's how much runway we have, or here's, here's what we're trying next quarter. Here's our big bets. Like none of that. It was like, we are a machine. We will continue to be a machine. And here's where you fit in the big machine that we have. Whereas with house, it was like, Hey, if you have ideas, like we need to hear them because we are running, like we are running, (laughs) jump on the train as it moves. We will not be stopping for anyone. (laughs) And that was really exciting to me to talk to people who were, I think just a little more comfortable with uncertainty. And I feel like that's kind of how I operate. Like I love to, I prefer to try things than to think about them (laughs) to death. So house was a perfect place for me to land for lots of reasons. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you go there and you're doing an account management role. Mm -hmm. Okay. So tell us a little bit about that transition and again, kind of in some ways starting over. It really was starting over after trying to fit myself in a, like a box that just was not for me. It felt like a really necessary reset. I wanted kind of this like scorched earth restart. And that's exactly what house was for me. It was kind of like some of the business things that you've learned are still going to be relevant. The fact that I learned how to kind of talk to people and and talk with customers was important, but everything else was totally different. All the systems, all the processes, even the like intercompany politics were very, very different. And so it was a total restart, but I wanted it. I wanted to start over and I wanted to feel like I was picking something. Mm. So I just kind of dug in and decided I was going to learn everything I could possibly learn. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to Hmm. prove not to the, you know, I I think like it's wasted energy to prove to people who don't believe in you anyway, that you can do something. (laughs) It's best to forget those people. But for me, I just wanted to prove to myself that if I set my sights on something, even if it seemed so distant from how I was perceived that I could do it. So that's what that role was really for me was proving that I could exist in, in this space and that I could do the thing (laughs) that I decided I was going to do. And they taught me a lot. It was like a big learning experience and the people around me really made, made it for me. I was fortunate to have a lot of people that were really invested in me as a person and the unique kind of ill-fitting corporate America things about me were assets suddenly Mm -hmm. in this new role. And that was really, really exciting for me. Oh, I bet. Okay. So you're there for a couple of years. I mean, just tremendously successful working with clients. 
and doing renewals. So what makes you leave California? You were there, that was your destination. And then you go to Indy. It was a really hard choice. So we, I guess our, our moves to that point, to Arkansas and to California were for my career. It kind of got to this point where I was fine in my position. I was happy. I, I thought that that was kind of my pinnacle. So I was, I was treading water happily, but <laughs> <laughs> Dustin wanted to advance in his career. And he set his sights on a particular company, on a particular role, and it was going to bring us back to Indiana. And I felt like it was his turn to be able to chase something that he was excited about. And when I compared our kind of levels of passion (laughs) in our careers, he was winning that for sure. So it was just, it was time for us to follow what was right for him. And so that was taking us back to Indiana. And I had this moment of pure terror just because I knew I could do business in startups. I did not feel confident that I could go back to a traditional company. And that was what Mm -hmm. Indiana was in my mind was traditional companies. But we were fortunate to find that Lessonly was based in Indianapolis and we were actually at House. We were Lessonly customers, so I had some exposure to mm. what Lessonly was all about through through House. So that was really, really, really lucky, and so like just serendipitous <laughs> that the two companies were kind of attached. So you end up getting a job at Lessonly, but this time as an account executive, which is. Mm-hmm. In some ways, I mean, it's still sales, but it's the other part of the sales cycle, which is your job is to bring in new customers instead of working with existing customers and upselling them on existing services. So Mm -hmm. talk to us about that transition. That was one of my hardest transitions, which is crazy Mm -hmm. to say, because I went from English major to analyst, but (laughs) (laughs) if house was fast moving, Lessonly was like a speeding bullet, like things were fast and the people were incredible, are incredible there. I mean, some of them are still kind of attached, but the people were so amazing that I suddenly now had this company that I wanted to succeed in for personal reasons, but I also had these people that I wanted to like make proud. (laughs) It was this new, I was more connected to, and part of it was, this was the company that brought me home and made coming home safe for me. So there was a lot of emotion, I think, tied in that, but I wanted to succeed so that my team could succeed. And this, this was kind of a new experience for me. So I had all these people that I wanted to suddenly succeed for that were not just Mm me (laughs) or my husband. Mm -hmm. And it was hard. It was a really hard ramping period. I think partially because we moved back to Indiana and leaving California was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And winter came and that was hard going from perfect weather to sudden snow and sleet and ice and (laughs) sadness. It's not an ideal time to move back. And again, I feel like my, my husband was really excelling and finding his footing really quickly in his new company. And I was floundering for a little bit. 
And I remember, and I think part of it was I was on the fence. I was like feeling definitely like a big faker. There were people around me that were just incredibly talented at sales. And I was not one of them. (laughs) I had never been an SDR before, which is like most people's jumping off point into sales. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just felt like, again, like a big imposter. And I, I wanted to be real for these people. I wanted to be good. And I remember my boss at the time, a couple months into the role, Justin Clifford sat me down and was like, I am not convinced that you want this. (laughs) And I was like, and if you know, Justin Clifford, this was not, I mean, it was harsh, but it was also really well-meaning. And he kind of gave me this challenge of like, basically turn it on and start firing on all cylinders or like. I will help you find something that feels better. If you want to go back to account management, you can do that. And he Mm -hmm. kind of gave me permission to retreat Mm -hmm. if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there would have been anything wrong with that. But again, for me, (laughs) when people tell me I can't, that's really something that lights a fire. For some reason, I'm not sure what it is. Probably goes back to childhood. I could unpack it. Sure, on a different a different kind of podcast. Um, but that challenge for me and wanting to, I mean, he was the one who hired me. So I wanted him to feel like he made a good choice. And that was really when I had to decide either I am going to put all of my effort into this thing or I'm going to quit. And I chose to put all my effort into it and really writing, which had been kind of a side project for a long time, completely stopped because I decided that I was going to do an identity shift and sales was going to be who I was now. So that worked (laughs) for a while. I ramped. I was happy. I got to travel a bunch to San Diego. I got got to meet people like you and I learned a ton and I had people around me who wanted me to succeed. So it was a really, really special time in my career. And I'm super, super grateful for it. But it also kept me stimulated and content enough to forget about the thing that I really wanted to do. So it was like, in a way, I think it was a little bit of a (laughs) band-aid. Right. Well, and I I think back and I'm trying to remember when, when we had the conversation, but what sticks out to me is I remember so much of the outbound motion is Mm -hmm. the emails. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, one of the worst parts is like, if you have to write the emails, because I don't enjoy that at all. I'm a Mm -hmm. verbal communicator. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember us talking and you sharing a little snippet about like, that you love to write. You didn't call yourself a writer, but that you love to write. And so it was interesting because like, again, kind of knowing you today and knowing you then it's like, I could see how it would in some ways pacify that need to write because you could convince yourself like you were getting a way to creatively flex, but it was Mm -hmm. within the confines of, you know, sales and even some marketing messaging, you know, but it was still writing. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) There was still a little creativity that went into it. Yeah. And that's exactly what I told myself. And even lessonly, like our marketing team tapped me to write a couple of blogs every once in a while. And I was like, okay, I'm doing it. Like I'm, I'm a writer on the side. 
(laughs) but it was still, still not, you know, not exactly it, but it was enough. I told myself it was, again, this is enough. This is fine. Yeah. And I mean, you were at Lessonly for, for three and a half years. And Mm -hmm. so I'm going to let you tell the story instead of me telling the story, because there were some pretty big things that transpired in your time while you were there that also, you know, kind of played a role in, in you transitioning away. So like Mm -hmm. you, you kind of throw yourself into this, you make the commitment to sales, you, you know, you get these pieces of getting to go back to San Diego, you get opportunities here and there to use your, your creativity and your writing skills, you're having Mm -hmm. success. Take us from there to deciding to, to leave Lee. Yeah. So the first kind of domino (laughs) in that decision was 2020 COVID. suddenly travel stopped and the people around me that were, I think, filling up my cup in a lot of ways were suddenly gone. And it was just like me in my kitchen (laughs) with my laptop. And so I had this for a couple of months, as I'm sure a lot of people felt in COVID times, I just had no idea what was going to happen. I felt like I had to cling to my role for dear life just because Mm -hmm. who knows what the next month is going to bring. But I was not super optimistic for a lot of reasons. And I feel like because of that, that headspace is not a creative headspace for me. So for a while, I just focused on trying as hard as I possibly could to close business for the company Mm -hmm. so that they would keep me. I didn't know if we would do Again, I'd gone through some big headcount reductions in prior companies. So I was very afraid that that would happen to me at Lessonly. So I just tried to hang in there and totally forget about writing. And then after a couple of months, we started to figure things out. And I think a lot of people stepped up to help us survive that time period. And suddenly I realized that the two hours a day that I was spending commuting I had back and I could do whatever I wanted with those two hours. And I don't know, it it took a couple of months, I think, for me to be able to do this mentally, but suddenly I decided I'm going to use those two hours to write. It doesn't have to be business writing. It doesn't have to be copy for Lessonly. It's going to be whatever I want to write. And that's how it started. So I started to kind of write a little bit in the mornings, then I would kind of go into salesperson mode. And then again, in the evening, I would go back into writer mode. But it was these two very separate like existences, separate personas, it was separate lives. But fortunately, where I was at in my career with Lessonly is it it, it was kind of, I was not on autopilot, but a lot of it was second nature at this point. I just knew, I knew the job so well. So I could write in my free time. Mm-hmm. So I started to throw some effort towards writing. And in 2021, I finished my first manuscript. And then shortly after that, I participated in, there's something called NaNoWriMo, which is National November Novel Writing Month. And it's an international community of writers that all try to write a book in one month. And I remember telling my team at Lessonly, hey, I'm going to do this. And so that probably means on team meetings, I'm going to be a zombie, <laughs> but I'm still going to do my job. I'm still here. And my team at the time was like, hey, if you need to take time, take time, like do this thing. 
pour some effort into it. Like we're, we're going to be here for you. So I got to put some effort into November. I finished another book and I took some time off to do that. And then writing and work was both of those things were suddenly going pretty well. And I thought, okay, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to throw a ton of effort into sales most of the time. And then occasionally I'll dabble in writing. Maybe it'll be every November. I'll get to be a writer. (laughs) And then we got acquired. Hmm. So in August of 2021, Seismic bought Lessonly and my world and the kind of dual career thing that I had created for myself was just totally upended. We knew that, I think everyone knew that the special lessonly thing that we had was going to change. And it was really this time where we had to either decide, I had to decide, am I going to, again, dedicate myself to this new role, to this new company, to mm-hmm. these new people, and kind of embrace that that life, knowing that I was going to, again, have to let go of writing, or am I going to step away? And I tried to push through for a couple of months. I decided to let writing go because I had to that point, no evidence that writing was going to take me anywhere. So I told myself, this is, this is what's happening to me now (laughs) to do. I am going to do this new role. And I did it for a couple of months, but I was burned out. I think I was just, I was operating from a place of burnout and I wasn't doing my best sales. I wasn't doing my best writing. I mean, nothing felt Mm -hmm. good for for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. And part of the decision to leave was that I just cared too much about the people that I worked with to stay if I was going to be this like zombie salesperson. And the other part was when you go from, I, I felt like I had this perfect little existence created for myself and losing that it was really, really hard to recommit myself to, to staying in that role again. It was just, it was really hard to think about going back to no more writing. You're, you're ramping in a sales job again. So I decided the flavor of it. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you already had to give it it up once in your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it felt like it was the thing that I, that I worked for and that I, you know, all the, random tangential jobs that I took were, were all finally for something and it was all finally paying off. And then it was like, mm. never mind. <laughs> Your writing is a luxury that you no longer have <laughs> is what it felt like. Right. 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 It was still viewed as this, like, as yeah, interesting choice of words. Like uh, I was viewed as a luxury, not mm-hmm. as a career. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, You know, I think one of the things that is so encouraging in some ways is, you know, I, there's the pandemic was so interesting in how people experienced it in such different ways. And I think Mm -hmm. everyone experienced grief of some form and everyone experienced languishing of some form, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I think about like what your experience is and like, in some ways there is joy because, without the pandemic, there may not have been this reconnection to your first love. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. And I so, totally feel that. And so it served as a very 
a very good forcing function to bring mm-hmm. you to a place that you had been, you know, trying to fight and deny for a uh, I mean, you, you've put up a very good fight. I mean, <laughs> you, you, I, I got to give it to you. You gave, you gave it a really good fight. So, okay. You end up leaving Lessonly. Surely now you've left because it's time to write, but you don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Surprise. Of course. <laughs> Again. Yeah. Yep. So I decided when I was going to leave, that I was still not a writer. I was a person who wrote. And Mm -hmm. so I had to find another sales role. And I thought, okay, I'll just get really good at this role. And then I'll try to build my little balanced world again. Because I just, I had no, I had no proof that I could succeed at writing. And I still wanted stability. And I was so afraid if I stepped off the path, I could never get back on it. And all of the voices that I've been hearing since mm-hmm. high school, even telling me that English was a ridiculous <laughs> degree kind of came back. And, yeah. and it was like, you have this successful career. If you just continue walking on the treadmill, that's all you have to do. You just have to keep going. You're going to be successful and you're going to have all of these things that you're supposed to want. And so I decided I was going to, to do that again. I remember when I resigned again to Justin Clifford, (laughs) I told him I was leaving and he was like, understandable. I get it. We're happy for you. We support you. Where are you going to go? And I told him I was going to do another software role. And he was like, hmm, are we sure? (laughs) Are we sure we want to do that? And at first I was like, yeah, how are you? I mean, it, it felt like he was questioning this like little facade that I was had very carefully created. Um, and I was just not open to anyone poking holes. I was like, of course, this is what I'm doing. I'm a salesperson. I'm telling myself I'm a salesperson. I'm telling you I'm a salesperson. Right, this is what I right. do. Again, how dare you uh-huh. be the voice that speaks yes. up on my behalf? <laughs> right. So obviously I have to double down on this role now. Thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate it. Now I have to throw myself into this harder. <laughs> But he, but he was, I mean, he, I think he was picking up on some things that I was just really not ready to. And he, he suggested, he was like, maybe just take some time, like take a minute. You have not given yourself a minute to process or to decide like, who is Lauren and what does she want? And I was like, I don't have time. I have to continue. I have a path. I can see it. I'm going to keep walking on it. Mm -hmm. And I actually recently reached out to him and kind of said, you know, hey, you were right. <laughs> but at the time I wasn't ready for it. So I had a month off between jobs. And during that month, I decided I was allowed to be a writer. Mm-hmm. So I took the month of February to to fully dedicate myself to writing. And I almost finished a third manuscript. Wow. I was about 15,000 words shy. And for context, the whole book now is 80,000 words. So I was pretty close to being done. Right. Yeah. You were 80% done. Yeah, I was there, but then I had to ramp at this new company. So again, writing goes on the back burner, but during that, that month that I had off, I got to attend some conferences, some virtual conferences for writing. And I found out that there were these 
virtual, these Zoom one-on-one pitches you could sign up for to get an agent or to pitch to an agent. And the way that the process worked is, or works in traditional publishing is writers have to basically go through this period of cold calling, cold querying to try to get an agent's attention. Then an agent might agree to read some of your manuscript. And if they absolutely fall in love with it and they think they can sell it, they will offer to represent you to go and sell it to publishers or film rights or subsidiaries. And so I discovered I had been kind of cold querying via email, which is the traditional way. And that's the way most writers get their agents and not getting a ton. I mean, I got a little bit of a a couple of bites here and there, but nothing major. But then I discovered at this conference that you could do these face-to-face pitches. And I was like, of course, that's what I'm going to (laughs) do. I do that all day, (laughs) every day. So that felt like a sneaky little like cheat code in the writing world that I found. So I signed up for a bunch of these face-to-face pitches and I had kind of been networking around the writing world a little bit. And a bunch of writers that I talked to were like, oh my gosh, you're doing that? Like by choice? (laughs) Oh my God. Um, But I was excited about it to get that instant, you know, you can see on someone's face if they love what you're saying or if they hate Mm. it. And I just wanted to know am I anything or is this all (laughs) in my head? Do I need to rededicate myself to this new job? And so I did all these pitches and I had a hundred percent request rate, which is really, really good. I it's like to get a hundred percent request rate with all the pitches that I did was, was said something to me. And so I was really excited. I was like, okay, I figured it out. I got, I'm sending all my materials. I'm going to sign an agent. Like everything is happening. And then of all of those requests, none of them wanted to work with me. Mm. And that was a huge blow that came right before I had to start at this new company. Mm. And it was all the evidence I needed to, to say, okay, I'm not a writer. Obviously I'm not a writer, but Then as I was ramping at this new company, I started to think about how I became, went from English major to analyst, analyst to account manager, account manager to salesperson. And I thought all that was like the, the learning of these very different things. All it is, is just effort, continuous effort over and over again, showing up every day to do the thing. That's it. That's all it is. I mean, there's other things, but that's that when you distill it down, that's what it is. And so I thought I had this question that popped up like month two of my onboarding, which was horrible timing, (laughs) like terrible timing. But I thought if I were to throw myself into writing in the same way that I've been throwing myself into sales, what would happen? I couldn't shake that question because finding out that I'd become a better salesperson than writer was crushing for me. But Mm -hmm. that could change if I changed where I put my effort, I suspected, but it was just really not good timing (laughs) to have that hunch appear. (laughs) So what do you do with the hunch? Uh, um, Well, if you're me, obviously you shove it down (laughs) for a while. (laughs) So I did that, went through my shoving it down phase. And then I... I found this, so I, I I tried to ramp this new company and I found this, I was kind of still passively 
engaged in the writing community. I had found this podcast, The Shit No One Tells You About Writing, and it it was like my North Star. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. learning so much from this podcast. And so I was still dabbling in kind of the writing world. And I heard of through one of the many little writing communities I found this Twitter pitch contest that was coming up as well as this kind of manuscript contest. It was like a first couple pages contest that editors and agents were judging. And I thought, okay, like that's that's something kind of passive that I can do. I can just start entering my materials and things. And if it's any good, someone will tell me. And if it's bad, then I will continue on the sales path. And so I entered this contest and I ended up placing in the top three for one of my manuscripts. And the other manuscript I entered received honorable mention. So I was like, okay, this is something. There's something happening. And then in prepping for this, I was prepping for this Twitter pitch contest kind of passively. And then I decided, no, I'm not going to do it. I need to, I need to double down. I need to ramp. It was really tough to try to do this as I was trying to learn a new, sure. a new product. But I had through the podcast, there's a best-selling author that hosts it along with two agents. And this author was offering manuscript critiques, 50 pages, and she would basically provide you editorial feedback. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do that. So I ended up booking. It was her last spot. She emailed me and she was like, you snagged the last one somehow, (laughs) like send me your pages. So I sent her 50 pages of my most recent book that I wrote and was still kind of doing the job, doing the ramping thing. And while she was reviewing my pages, this Twitter pitch contest, it, the day came and I was just looking at other people's pitches and I was kind of jealously sitting <laughs> on the sidelines and I decided, whatever, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to throw my stuff out there. So the, <laughs> the, the morning of the contest, I decided to to send my pitches out into the world and the way it works is you send out these these tweets that are just really, really brief pitches of your book and agents that are interested in getting your materials will like your pitch. Mm. And for one of my manuscripts that I had queried before and kind of failed with, it got a little bit of traction, not much. For some reason, this newest one that I wrote in that one month that I had off was just, everyone wanted it. I had tons of requests. And as they were coming in, I remember they were coming in that day and it was a work day and I was trying to do my like software sales work. And I was getting all of these agent requests and I was like, oh my gosh, I am being physically pulled into this life now. Like suddenly I'm being grabbed. And I had one of the agents that liked my pitch that requested materials was my dream literary agent. She was, when she, when I saw her request, I was like, oh no, like this is, <laughs> this is real. I don't know if I'm ready. It's all happening. And she, this agent just so happened to be the agent of the author that was looking at my pages. So as these two things are happening, I get this request from, from these agents. This author is reviewing my stuff. She sent me an email a couple of weeks before, and it was the week of this contest. And it was weeks before she was supposed to have my feedback back. And she was like, Lauren, this is really good. I'm going to have feedback for you, but would you be comfortable with me kind of passing this on to my agent? I think actually, if you're, if you're interested in working with my agent, I think she would love this. And 
I was like, well, <laughs> your agent just requested materials from me. So that's crazy. And she basically was like, okay, well, I have some feedback. And since I work with this agent, like I have feedback that's very specific to how she operates. So if you want to take it and, and submit to her, I'll put in a good word. Like, I, I think your writing is really good. And that was just shocking, that whole <laughs> experience. And speaks to just, I think, especially women, we are like connectors. And mm -hmm. that was the other thing that happened for me during this was mm -hmm. just this network of female writers and, and female agents that were all trying to help me get to where I wanted to be. It was really incredible and serendipitous and magic. It was just magic that all of that happened in the same week. So I ended up sending all, all my materials off to all the agents that requested. I took a trip to Yosemite that was pre-planned. So it was about a week and a half that I was going to be in the mountains with my husband. And I figured I would use that time to decide what am I going to do about my job? What am I going to do about writing? What am I at this point? Right. It was like, I needed a minute. <laughs> so took a minute in Yosemite. And naturally that was the week that all of the things happened. So I started getting offers and, and I got agent offers. I got small press offers and the offer came from my dream agent while I was flying home. I was like stranded at the Las Vegas airport trying to get home. And she sent me an offer to represent me. And it was like, that was the, the biggest career moment of my life so far. Oh my it was crazy. I sobbed. <laughs> well, of course you did. I mean, this has been something that you dreamed of, wanted, and then accepted was not in your path. Mm. You let it go. You willingly chose to say, I, I will, I will pick the stable path. I will do the thing that makes sense. I will find my way and I'll do a great job. And you know, even then it was, this is your third book that you've written now. I mean, we're talking in less than two years, you wrote mm -hmm. three manuscripts. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know anything about writing, but that sounds like a lot. <laughs> and I just, I just think of how, yes, to your point that like you never gave up on this and, and, and like you put yourself out there. And I think in some ways kind of being brought to where you were always meant to be. It was just, this mm -hmm. was now the time. Mm -hmm. It all came together yeah. when it was supposed to be the right time. And all of the things that felt like detours, I think created really important dynamics that mm -hmm. pushed me to, instead of, writing being a, a chore or an obligation. It was this luxury and this thing that I just, I thought if I can, if I can learn all of this other stuff, then I'm allowed to write. So it made me, I think it was a, it was really good to learn, especially sales. Sales gave me so much in, in this writing world. And even where I am now, I have an agent, but we're going to have rejection. Rejection is just a huge part of being a creative. And I am 
uniquely positioned as a creative who has been rejected a lot. <laughs> so yes, this, this kind of rejection is a little bit more personal. It's not, you know, someone else's software, but I think the rejection thing has been really helpful to have already experienced coming into writing. I think also like understanding how sales works. Writing is a book publishing is a business and there's sales, <laughs> tons of sales involved. And my agent is a salesperson. So I'm able to have a lot of compassion for her. Yeah. And I just, everything that felt so entirely unrelated to what I wanted has helped to, to make what is happening now happen. Yeah. Well, I just, uh, I mean, I think what you're doing is it's so brave, but also, I mean, will you share with everyone? You mentioned it to me at the very beginning before I hit record and I just, we hopped on, I asked you, how are you? How's your head? How's your heart? And your response kind of brought a tear to my eye. And so I would love if you don't mind just telling everyone, because I think again, like it can be scary to listen to what our heart or our gut is trying to tell us. And yet I think Mm -hmm. what you shared kind of in so many ways kind of affirms the choice that you've made. So will you just share with everyone really quick, like kind of what you said? (laughs) Yeah. I feel now like when I wake up in the morning, I am just aligned with my purpose. Like I know what it is. I know who I am (laughs) and I'm, I'm excited to, continue down. I mean, I, I finally feel like I'm not an imposter. I am a writer, even introducing myself. I've been going now to conferences face-to-face and introducing myself as a writer or an author Yes, has felt, I thought it was going to feel again. I thought I was going to have that imposter syndrome and I'm sure it'll come and find me at various times in this career. Cause it does, but I, I feel like it's true. I finally feel like what I'm saying I am is the truth and I'm going to cry now. <laughs> and it just, it just feels like, yeah, it just feels like I'm living, I'm living in line with who I am as a person and everything feels suddenly harmonious. Things that were hard and painful are now easy and fun and giving myself permission to do this. It is a luxury to be able to take a risk on yourself. And I don't take that for granted. I feel very, very fortunate that that I'm able to do this at this point in my life. But even with all the uncertainty, I have no idea. At, at the time that we are having this conversation, I still do not know <laughs> if this is going to pan out. But the way that I feel right now, I would not trade for right. the world. Right. Oh, I'd bet on you. I'd bet on you. So I, okay. Well, you know, I, as, as I close these out, I always love to ask, you know, for people who are listening, you know, either advice that has been given to you that has been very valuable in your career to this point, or something that you've learned along the way that has been really helpful or informative. There's just some one thing, no matter what, that you want people listening to take away with them. Mm-hmm. What do you want that to be? Yeah, I think one thing that 
I constantly kind of keep in, in the back of my mind is something that my agent says all the time. And she says it on her podcast and they're now getting branded mugs. So I feel like I'm, this is me selling a little bit. (laughs) she, She always says ambition over anxiety, choose ambition over anxiety. And I think that has been a huge part of, they say that, and and I've heard this said by a lot of people, the only difference between a published author and an unpublished author is the published authors kept going. Mm. And I fully believe that to be true. If there's something that you want, of course, throwing yourself into it is going to yield a positive result. I just fully believe that. If you're invested in it, you will manifest it. So that's what I would say. If people out there can choose ambition over anxiety and follow the, whatever the thing is, it's probably not writing for most people, but whatever the thing that you feel called to do, I think when you're in line with your purpose, things just happen the way that they're supposed to. So I think that's, that's really been the, the big thing for me is just choosing ambition, keeping the faith and pushing through the hard stuff and just figuring it all out, like not expecting perfectionism (laughs) because it's, it doesn't happen when you're trying a new thing that you think you're supposed to be really good at. I've been humbled by, by a lot of this process, but the thing that's kept me going is that I just really, really want it. Right. 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 Yes. And I love how earlier you mentioned that just reminding yourself of the process of doing anything that you haven't either done for a while or that you're new at that it does, it does take some time. And like, if you put in the work though, Mm -hmm. you know, you can do it. So, Mm -hmm. Oh, Lauren, I just, um, it is so, so inspiring to see what you're doing to kind of be cheerleading, watching you as you're going through this process. And I just, um, am the world only becomes a brighter place when people walk in their purpose. And so I'm so excited to kind of see how this new chapter of life unfolds for you. But thank you for being here and sharing your incredible story. As we are launching this episode, Lauren is actively working with her agent to pitch her book to publishers, anticipating one of them to pick it up. I can't wait to hear her exciting news and we'll continue to update this incredible community as Lauren progresses on this journey. But join me in really being inspired by somebody who found a way to realize their dream on their own terms, on their own timeline, and continuing to put themselves out there enough that where they were meant to be became so undeniable. There was nothing left to do but take the leap of faith. I can't wait to watch what happens in the coming future for Lauren. And I hope many of you, like I was, walk away from this episode believing in that voice that is telling you there is something out there waiting for you to step into the fullest version that you are. Until next week, y'all, keep rising.